Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? All right. Well, welcome to South Coast Community Church. We're still uh, obviously uh, not quite at capacity here, but I want to welcome everyone. It's always great when we can gather together. And uh, particularly if you're new, we're glad you're here with us this morning, and, uh, and we pray that you are blessed. Uh, just a few announcements. Um, if you can RSVP uh, every, every week, if you could do it by Thursday, it helps, because as you can see, we have to plan out the seating. Um, and if, if you're you know, kind of a regular person and you think you're going to be here every week, and rather than message Kathy when you're going to be here, you, you'd rather message her when you're not, you can do that as well. But just let us know. And then, and then if you are on the list... And for some reason, something comes up, as it often does, just give us a heads up, because, you know, we are trying to get as many folks as we can in here, and uh, everybody who uh, reserves a spot, again, just let us know if for some reason you can't, you can't attend. And hopefully, as time goes on, you know, we'll continue to communicate via email and, and text and Facebook and all those things, um, and let you know, as we know, as the, as the uh, guidelines change. Um, the Lost Group is also beginning to meet outdoors at the home of Diane Fortenkirt, and they meet on her back deck every other Tuesday night at 6 p.m., uh, starting this Tuesday, July 7th. So I would strongly encourage you, uh, if you've been part of that, you want to be part of that, speak to Diane. Is she here? Is, I thought I saw the, Diane's in the back, uh, and I know that's been a blessing to a lot of people, so... Uh, also, we're, we're planning something a little different. Uh, we've had a, what we've called a Sunday fun day, and we had a big outdoor service. We rented Cathedral Camp one year, and obviously this year we're not going to be able to do that, but we thought we'd do something a little different. And so we're trying to get uh, a group of maybe 10 to 12 folks at a few different locations, and the idea would be I'm going to stream the, the service. We're going to live stream the preaching and the worship from my house. I'll have about a dozen people there, and then we'll have a few different locations throughout and the goal would be we all kind of watch the service together and then after that have a, a cookout a fellowship time in those separate locations so we have um, different locations an email went out I know there's going to be one host in the cushion at Matapoisa I think we're Marion Dartmouth but if that's something you'd be interested in attending please let Kathy know because we're trying to kind of coordinate how many sites we need uh, and it would be a good time, you know, watch the service all together and then, um, then kind of hang out separately and, uh, and, you know, make the best of it. So, uh, again, please let Kathy know. Um, and with that, let me just pray. Father, Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful that we live in a country where we're free to gather together to worship you, Lord. And, Father, we pray even now that you prepare our hearts Lord, that you help us to not live in, in yesterday, not live in what we didn't get done this morning or what we need to get, do, get done this afternoon, but to be present here in this moment. Lord, help us to enter into your presence because that's what changes us, God, your word, your spirit. And so have your way in our hearts, in this local body, God. Minister to us, speak to us, Father. We love you. We're here to to worship you, God, to give you all the glory and honor and praise. And so again, just have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So yesterday we celebrated what took place 244 years ago. On July 4th, 1776, the Continental Congress declared that the 13 American colonies were no longer subject to 
and subordinate to the monarch of Britain, and we declared ourselves the United Free and Independent States. The idea to break free, we can, we can clap for that, that's, that's a celebration. <laughs> the idea to break free from British rule was actually voted on and approved a couple days before that. But after voting for independence, Congress turned its attention to the Declaration of Independence, a statement that explained this decision, which had been prepared by a committee of five with Thomas Jefferson as its principal author. They debated and revised the wording, and finally, two days later, on July 4th, it was approved. A day earlier, John Adams had written this to his wife, Abigail. The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward, forevermore. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. Oh, how far we have strayed. Of course, our forefathers understood this as well. Abraham Lincoln famously said this, From whence shall we expect the approach of danger? Shall some transatlantic military giant step the earth and crush us at a blow? Never. All the armies of Europe and Asia could not by force take a drink from the Ohio River or make a track on the Blue Ridge in the trial of a thousand years. No, if destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we will live forever or die by suicide. Benjamin Franklin said, Nothing brings more pain than too much pleasure, and nothing more bondage than too much liberty. Social commentator Oz Guinness of the Guinness Beer Fortune, he's a Christian and he writes books and, and uh, speaks and he's a very, very uh, intelligent, thoughtful, articulate man. He wrote a book called The Free People's Suicide. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. But in the world today and I think in prosperous nations in particular, it's all about preference and desire and we've become slaves to our appetites and our inclinations, whatever they may be. And what makes the problem worse is that so many people don't even see it. But I tell you this with absolute certainty. There is nothing at all, nothing that even comes close to the fulfillment and joy you get when you live as a true friend of Jesus Christ. And that's what he calls us in John 15. He calls us friends. And so this morning we're going to wrap up our series of the past few weeks we must understand that the gospel invitation is an invitation into a life-giving relationship with the God who created the universe. It is not simply a matter of thinking a certain way, but it is a roadmap and is a pattern of living for never being alone on that journey because of a friendship with Jesus. And so we say every day here, it's not about knowing about him. It's not just information, but it's knowing him. 
It's about an ever-increasing intimacy and an ever-increasing surrender to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to wrap up our teaching over these last few weeks because God wants us to experience true freedom from all that keeps us from living an abundant life. And so we're going to close our focus on four things in particular that keep us from being free. Four things that instead instead to do battle against, we tend to make excuses for rather than surrendering those things to Jesus. And that's unbelief and busyness and sin and fear. And so as the worship team comes up, we're going to summarize what we talked about the past few weeks. We're going to make some final points regarding its application, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to remember the price that Jesus paid for our freedom. And my prayer is that each of us would make a personal choice to recommit ourselves to a life of surrender and obedience to Jesus. And I pray that we'll continue to see God use this local church in a mighty way. I posted a quote many of you saw and commented on this week, and it said this. It said, I think the most beautiful thing in the world is watching the light come on in someone's eyes after they have been lost in the dark for so long. You see, there's nothing better than seeing people who've been bound for so long set free. Martin Luther famously said, I'm just a beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. See, you all know that I was once very lost and Jesus set me free. And my heart's desire and my life's motivation is for as many people as possible to experience that. And it's certainly in my prayer for each one of you here today. There is only one way to true freedom. Paul writes in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Please stand as we begin to worship together. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Well, last week we, we looked at the issue of sin. We made some observations. We read a quote by Charles Spurgeon and it said this. He said, I suppose that the nearer we get to heaven, the more conscious we shall be of our imperfections. The more light we get, the more we discover our own darkness. That which is scarcely accounted sin by some men will be a grievous defilement to a tender conscience. It is not that we are greater sinners as we grow older, but that we have a finer sensibility of sin and see that to be sin which we winked at in the days of our ignorance. We should have a finer sensibility to our own sin. We said that we can become really good at pointing out everybody else's sin and really good at excusing our own, which is why uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? Jesus tells us to first to to take the plank out of our own eye, to do a little spiritual self-assessment. And that's really what we're doing. I mean, that's what really, really what sermons are. The Word of God should, should, uh, should be applied to our lives. It should challenge. It should convict. It should encourage. It should motivate. It should empower. But we're taking a look at our lives. And we should always be praying for the Lord to search our hearts and to help us to become more like Him. We must be willing to make changes and align ourselves with His Word and with His will for our lives. That's why we hear sermons. 
We don't rely on opinions. We don't rely on, on eloquent, eloquent speech. We rely on God's word. And there we will find the answers we seek. So as I said, I want to summarize what we've learned over the last month and then make some final comments before we celebrate communion together. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to go through this material somewhat quickly. Brevity isn't my strong th- suit, so pray that I can stay on task with that. I, I can follow some rabbit trails, as we all know, but the Lord, the Holy Spirit brings it back. And, and so I want to do that, but you can go back and you can watch or you can listen to the last few weeks uh, where we delved, and Becky and Amelia keep making fun of me. They said, Dad, are we going to delve this week? Because apparently I use that word a lot, but I like that word. You dig in deep to the Word of God, you delve. And so we've been delving into the Word of God the past uh, three or four weeks. And you can go back and you can listen to the, the sermons and, and hear about these topics a little bit, a little bit deeper. But I'm going to try and summarize and provide application and then you know, give us an invitation to recommit ourselves to Him and to uh, participate in communion. So first we said we talked about unbelief. And we said in that context, it's not necessarily a lack of belief in God. Uh, A lot of us here, I'm assuming we're going to say that God exists, but it's really a lack of trust in Him. It's a, it's a lack of belief in his promises. It's, a, it's an everyday you know, uh, opportunity to either trust him or to trust in what we think or what we know. And of course the answer in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. Put your full faith in the Lord with your heart. The heart wasn't just a, an organ that pumps blood. It was the center of everything. In the Hebrew world, your heart is, is, is the source from which everything else comes. It means your entire being, your, your will, your intellect, your emotions, your, your thoughts, your, your, your uh, intentionality, everything. Your heart is everything. So trust in the Lord with everything you are and lean not on your own understanding. As an alternative to what you think you know and have told and believe and have read, trust in the Lord. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. So we have trust in Him, we have acknowledge Him in all your ways, in everything, not in just some things, but acknowledge the Lord, acknowledge who you are in relation to Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and shun evil. So we have trust, acknowledge, fear, shun. Those are, those are verbs, those are actions that we need to take. And then doing this in verse 8, it says, this will bring health to your body, and nourishment to your bones. There's a spiritual principle there. If we do what the Word of God tells us, we're going to have a flourishing life. We're going to have a fullness of life. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So he said unbelief fundamentally is a turning away from Jesus to seek satisfaction in other things. And so belief then is coming to Jesus for the full satisfaction of our needs and our longings. Belief is not mainly an agreement with facts in the head. It is mainly an appetite in the heart which fastens itself on Jesus for satisfaction. I'll say that again. Belief is not mainly an agreement with facts in the head. It certainly involves that, but that's not mainly what it is. It's mainly an appetite in the heart which fastens on Jesus for satisfaction. So in order to combat this lack of trust and unbelief, we can do a few things. We can pray. 
like the man who wanted his son healed, I believe, help my unbelief. One of the most beautiful, honest prayers in the Bible, right? I believe, help my unbelief. I have faith, increase my faith. We can look back and we can remember when God came through. Sometimes in the midst of a trial, it's hard to trust. Sometimes we don't see him. We don't feel him. We don't think he's there. But then we look back and we can see his hand in our lives time after time. And that's encouraging sometimes. Because then, you know, in the future we can look back and we can see God's never left us. His promises say he'll never leave us or forsake us. He says, when you, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart or be encouraged. I've overcome the world. We can take part in community groups and be part of the sharing and the encouragement that comes from other testimonies of God's work. When you're going through stuff, one of the things that encourages you is to hear another saint share that they had a similar experience. Or maybe they're in the midst of a similar experience. And there's this strength in that. There's strength in coming together prayerfully and encouraging one another. You know, sometimes we don't want to share in the midst of stuff. And, you know, as a pastor, I say this all the time. So many times people re- reach out to me after, you know, they've gone through something. And, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I had the worst, you know, two weeks ever. And, you know, it's like, well, reach out, you know. Did you talk to your small group? Did you, you know, reach out to the leadership so we can pray for you in the middle of it. Not just when it's over. We can read the word. If you want to trust God more, we need to learn about him, his character, know his promises. You know, we need to know about him. We need to know his character in order to know him, in order to develop that trust. So pray, look back to when he came through, take part in in community and the fellowship of the body, and read the word. And we talked about busyness. And we said the insidious thing about busyness is that it masquerades, particularly in our culture, as something positive. We think busyness always means productive, when in fact it can be, we said, the opposite of productive, or worse, it can be productive in things that ultimately don't really matter. You know, I've shared before how, you know, for a long, long time in my life, you know, I was busy with activity, and I thought, you know, I gotta, I gotta reduce, you know, I, I can't, I'm, I'm spreading myself too thin, and we do that, so that's a real thing. We, we are ultimately in control of our own calendars. But sometimes activity happens. Sometimes, you know, you go through seasons and, you know, the kids get sick or, you know, work needs you extra, whatever. Life is life. And I realized that Jesus was, his life was filled with activity, but he wasn't hurried. And there's a difference because busyness is really about being hurried. It's about a lack of, of an awareness of priorities. You see, no matter how much activity, no matter how many things Jesus was doing, he knew the priority. When the kids came and the disciples thought, uh, those are distractions to Jesus' ministry, Jesus said, no, 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 those are my ministry. He was never so filled with activity. He was never so hurried. He was never so busy that he neglected putting first things first, obeying and living in obedience to the Father. So yes, we need to look at our calendar, and yes, we need to make changes oftentimes, but there's also a sense of just being aware of prioritizing. Sometimes, you know, you, you're in a season where you can't reduce the activity. Now, if that's five years for you, then that's a problem. You know, we all have busy seasons, but your busy season shouldn't be a decade, right? That's, uh, that's your own control of your calendar. Philosopher Eric Hoffer, we read, said this, The feeling of being hurried is not usually the result of living a full life and having no time. The feeling of being hurried is not usually the result of living a full life and having no time. It is, on the contrary, born of a vague fear that we are wasting our life. 
When we do not do the one thing we ought to do, we have no time for anything else, and we are the busiest people in the world. Busyness in this sense is not having time for God. It stems from misplaced priorities. Bill Hybels years ago wrote a book, and it was too busy not to pray. You know, he understood, understood the more responsibility you have, the more things you're, you, 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 more influence, the more things you're, you're in control of, the more people you're responsible to, the more important it is for you to pray, the more important it is for you to put God first. God tells us we should be in fellowship with other believers, we should worship him, we should study his word, we should pray regularly. And Jesus did these things as an example to us. These things are not for South Coast Community Church, they're not for me. They're not necessarily for God. They're pleasing to him, and he wants us to do them because he loves us, not because he wants to burden us, but these things are for our benefit. And we said saying something is a priority does not make it a priority. It's easy, especially with social media and everything being so public, it's easy to see what's important to somebody. We can look at their lives. And I said if somebody looked at my life, what do they see? What would they say is important to me? We read Ephesians 5, verse 14 through 17. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. To be conscious and aware of every moment. The psalmist says, number our days. You know, we count our lives in years. But the psalmist says, number your days that you may gain a heart of wisdom. Each and every day, each and every moment, make the most of it. And then we looked at another kind of busyness. We looked at busyness for God. And I said, well, my friend, you know, uh, and I've repeated this so many times. My friend once said, ministry kills more ministers than the devil. I've never forgot that because that can be so true. And, and ministers is those who minister. That's not me. That's us. If you're a Christian, you're a soldier for Jesus. You're an ambassador for Christ. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You are a minister. But ministry can be draining, particularly if we try to do it all on our own. So we read the famous story of Martha and Mary in Luke 10. Jesus and his disciples were on their way, comes to a village, a woman named Martha, opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted, and I think that's the key word there. That's the key word there. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? My sister has left me to do the work myself. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better. Martha didn't, didn't you know, set out to choose something that was, that was bad, that was wrong, but it said she was distracted, it said she was worried, and it said she was upset. Because if our priorities aren't in the right place, that's what happens. We get distracted, we get worried, and we get upset. And so it's easy, you know, the things that we know are sin, those are the things oftentimes we're on God for. The enemy knows that, so what does he do? He tries to use the things that aren't, aren't inherently sinful. Because if the enemy can distract us from Jesus, it doesn't matter to him how he's doing it. It just matters to him that he's doing it. 
And so, in this sense, I'm not saying, you know, Martha was necessarily distracted by the enemy, but we know she was distracted. We know she was worried, and she know, we know she was upset. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better. Our primary responsibility is our relationship with the Lord. That must be the priority. Or the fact of the matter is we are selling everything else in our life short. And I know I've said this a whole bunch of times. And every time I do a wedding I say it. But my wife years ago said to me, if you want to love me the way I need to be loved, you have to love God more than me. And it took me, I'm like, wait wait a minute, hold on. Like, It was deep. And then I thought, you know, she's absolutely right. And then I realized it's really selfish of her to say that because she's, you know, saying that she she deserves the best possible love, right? But that's the point, that we're selling ourselves short, that I can't be the husband or the father or the pastor or the brother or the son or the citizen. I I can't reach my potential in Christ unless I put God first. That was her point. Her point is, I deserve a husband that puts God first. And through that relationship, he's able to love me sacrificially as Christ's love. It's a very deep principle, but it's absolutely true. We need to see our relationships, our, our, our lives in that way. Our primary responsibility is our relationship with Jesus. And if that's not the priority, everybody else is getting less of us than they could. And so the cure for a preoccupation with self is a preoccupation with God. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure this morning? Where's your treasure this morning? Is it in Jesus if everything else were to fade away? I heard it said once, you know, if you went to heaven and everything you ever wanted, everything you ever desired, everything you ever wished for was yours, but there was no Jesus, would that still be heaven to you? And then we looked at sin. And we said God, God's word teaches us a proper approach to sin. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. And so we said that repentance isn't sorrow only, that it may be accompanied by sorrow, but that sorrow alone accomplishes nothing. That feeling grieved or feeling bad needs to cause us to evaluate things. So that we can change. The word there is repent. And that is productive and good sorrow. Sorrow that causes us to wallow in pity and guilt and shame is not of God. It's either the enemy of the flesh. We said Peter was sorry he denied Christ and he repented. Judas was sorry he betrayed Christ and instead of repenting he killed himself. Repentance is an essential aspect of the gospel. And it's been called the first word of the gospel. When John the Baptist preached, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus began to preach, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he told his listeners, Repent. You know, it's good that we signed, obviously, the Declaration of Independence as a country. But as Christians, we should understand our lives should be declarations of dependence. On God. To not decide what's best on our own, but instead to rely on His Word, on His revealed character and the person of Jesus, on His Spirit. 
to be encouraged and motivated and built up by the local body of Christ, encouraging and praying for one another. We all sin because we are human, but that's not an excuse to ignore or continue ongoing patterns of sinful behavior in our lives. In fact, that's just coming up with another excuse not to trust God and put Him first. Christ came to earth to set us free from the penalty of sin, but also to set us free from the power of sin. And we see that hope in Romans 5.17, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? We said before we were dead in sin, Ephesians 2, 1, and he made you alive who were dead in trespasses, but now we said we are dead to sin. Because Paul tells us we are baptized into Christ Jesus. And we explored that, and we, and we see that the Greek word, the ancient Greek word for baptize is to immerse or overwhelm with something. So the solution to ongoing sin in our lives is to instead be immersed or overwhelmed with Jesus. Because we said a lot of times we continue in patterns of sin because we're in love with our sin. And so the solution is to fall deeper in love with Jesus. Because in place of the old man, God gives the believer a new man. Described in the New Testament created according to God in righteousness and holiness and Ephesians, who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him in, in Colossians. And we said our human being, our, as humans, our inner being has desires and impulses and passions, and they're played out in our mind, in our will, and in our emotions. The flesh is a problem in the battle against sin because it has been expertly trained by sinful habits. What we've done our whole lives up until we were, you know, set free in Christ, what, what, what have we done? I think my wife's always telling me, you know, you just need to, you need to jog, you need to do this. If you do it for two weeks, it becomes, uh, 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 not, not a habit, is it a habit? It becomes, after a couple weeks, it becomes, your body gets used to it, it becomes a routine. You just have to train yourself. And now we're called to train ourselves in the new ways, in the new life. Before they were called Christians, it was followers of the way. Not a way, but the way. It was a way to live. And so we said the, the flesh is a problem because it's been expertly trained by three sources. First, the flesh been, has been trained by the old man before he was crucified with Christ. Our, our past patterns and behaviors are imprinted on our flesh. Secondly, the world system, with its spirit of rebellion against God, will have a continuing influence on the flesh, our culture, what we're exposed to constantly. And then finally, the devil who seeks to tempt and influence us towards sin. If we let the new man within us influence the mind, the will, and the emotions, we will find the battle less intense. On this side of glory, we're never going to stop. The flesh is never converted. But as we said, you know, we clear the, the stones of sin out of our lives and slowly as time goes on, there should be more and more sand, right? There should be less and less of, those, of that ongoing sin. The new life isn't granted to us so we can live unto ourselves, but to live to God. It is for freedom that we've set, been set free. So what do we got to do? Stand firm. Don't go back to your old way of life. Somebody let you out of prison. Don't, don't go back in prison. 
We aren't dead to sin. We aren't free from sin. We aren't given eternal life to live as we please, but to please God. And we said instead of walking in this new life, we often go back from our freedom to being slaves to sin. Because we feed the old man. Because we give priority to the world system. And because we're wholly unaware of the devil. And so we walk in rebellion against God. We are free, but we make choices that imprisons us. Jesus invites us into a new life. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, he tells his disciples, as Amelia read, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we said, yes, that's an invitation first to death, to death to self, but that that's not the end. It's also an invitation to real life. A meaningful life glorifying God. A life of purpose. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever makes the priority his own desires and his own self-fulfillment and everything he wants. If you make the focus of your life you, in the end you lose. Not just in the end, but even in the here and now. Because it's never going to be enough. And you're never going to be fulfilled. And Jesus is telling you that, but he's saying, but if you're willing for the sake of Christ to lose your life, and that's not just a one-time lose your life, that's a moment-by-moment, decision-by-decision, trusting in Jesus, forgetting about what you think you want, what you think you need, and trusting in him, you will find it. You will understand what it means to be alive, because the God who created you the God who wants what's best for you, the God who did not withhold his son on that cross for you. How could we possibly believe that that God wants to withhold good things from us as children? For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? What good is it if you get everything that this world has to offer at the expense of your immortal soul? And end up apart from God for eternity. Paul says, whatever you present yourself to obey, you become its slave. And so, one way or another, we will serve somebody. The option to live our life without serving either sin or obedience isn't open to us. I'm going to say that again. The option to live our life without serving either sin or obedience is not open to us. So you are a slave to something. The question is, are you a slave to sin? Are you a slave to righteousness? Are you a slave to Christ? Are you a slave to obedience? Because there's no third way. So Paul tells us to present ourselves to God. And then we went deeply into Romans last week. And we, and we looked at all that. We First we understand our new identity in Christ. Then we, then we know we fill ourselves with things that help us form new, life-giving spiritual habits. We're aware that we're fighting a spiritual battle. We no longer allow the old man to control us. We know the Word of God, and that shapes us instead of the world system. You know, how do you know what, 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 when the world teaches and when you're exposed to worldly ideas, how do you know if they're good or not if you don't know the Word of God? If you don't have the ultimate standard of truth to compare against... You know, so many Christians, we don't even know the word. And so people say things, we go, yeah, that sounds right. In Teen Challenge, we used to joke with the guys, we used to say, you know, guys would come up with something. Well, I think this. You'd be like, where'd you read that? The Bird King Bible? Have it your way? Where'd you get that? That's not what the Bible says. 
When people sit around, well, to me it says this. Well, who cares what it says to you? <laughs> what does it really say? Because it's not about what we think it means. You know, and that's where you get into a whole thing of, you know, what did the Bible, you know, who was the author? Who was it written to? You know, wh- what was the style of writing? What was the original message? What was the occasion? What did it mean there and then? Because you've got to understand that. Context is everything. Before you can apply it to the here and now, what did it mean there and then? Because the Bible's living and active, and it'll speak to us differently in different, you know, times in our lives. And, you know, you'll read something, and it'll come to life like that. But you can't just read the Scripture and make it say whatever you want it to say. So we, under, we need to understand the Word of God is absolute truth given to us. God, <clears throat> excuse me, God-breathed. And we need to be aware of the devil. We need to pray We need to ask for prayer. We need to recognize the battle is primarily spiritual. Spurgeon again said this, The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. The changes will not come all at one time. They may not come to each area of one's life at the same time, but they will be there and they will be real and they will be increasing as time goes on. God sets us free, and he equips us to live righteously before him. God's grace through Christ doesn't just remove the penalty of sin, but gives us the power not to sin. And then finally, fear. And we're not talking about the good fear like we read in Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. We're talking about a bad fear. We're talking about a fear which touches on the sin of omission, on not doing what we should because we are afraid. Throughout Scripture, you see the disciples emboldened to minister as the, Holy, as the Holy Spirit comes and as they submit. Because I'm such a huge sports guy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a sports quote. Even, my, even my, my, my sports mimes are off. The other day, the youth group were all hanging out. And, uh, and I said something funny, and then I said to Jeff, I said, yeah, that was uh, volleyball. I, 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 I set that for you so you could spike it. And the kids were like, what is that? That's not volleyball. That's basketball. What are, you, what are you doing? They were, all, they were all disgusted by me. Even my sports mimes are off. That's, yeah, that was, my, that was my volleyball. Anyway, so back to my, that was a rabbit show. That was a quick return, though. So here's my, here's my sports quote. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky said that. I think he was a hockey player, right? Okay, see, that was pretty good. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You know, so often... The reason many people don't share the gospel, don't want to talk about Jesus, is they've tried at least one time and they failed, or they felt uncomfortable, or they felt they weren't as effective, so they never do it again. I mean, what if you did that with every part of your life? You try something once, ah, that didn't work, and that was it? No. Be emboldened, pray, show up. Read scriptures about fear to conquer fear. Pray. In John 14, 27, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Jesus is saying, this is, this is different. I'm not giving you a situational or a conditional peace. I'm not giving you a peace that's, that's based on what's going on around you. No, I'm giving you something different. It's something within. Trying to get our attention, pay attention. He said, Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Those are God's words to me and you. Jesus is saying to you, Do not be afraid. Not be afraid. Sometimes, do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I'm giving you a different kind of peace that no matter what's going on around you, 
You can have the peace of Christ inside you. That's a promise. Isaiah 35, 4. Tell everyone who is discouraged. There's no asterisk there. It doesn't say tell some of the folks. Tell everyone who is discouraged, be strong and don't be afraid. God is coming to your rescue. Why? Because in the Great Commission, Jesus promises to be with us until the end of the age. If that doesn't encourage us to step out in faith, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Right now especially, maybe you have fear. All kind of things going on we don't understand. We have doubts. Seems like everything's a mess. John 20 verse 19 says, On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, this thing was not looking like they thought it was going to look. So what did they do? Because, you know, we read the Bible, we always think everybody does like the spiritual thing. They say, well, let's just trust. Let's just pray. Let's just, let's just put our hope. No, let's hide and lock the doors in fear. That was what they did when things around them didn't look like they thought they should. And then Jesus came and he stood among them and he said this, peace be with you. Because when we have fear or anxiety or worry, Jesus comes and he stands in the midst of us and he says, peace be with you. I read it described this way in an article. It said, this greeting couldn't have been more unexpected. The disciples were hiding together in fear and mourning after the crucifixion of their leader. And Jesus arrives with a blessing of peace. The disciples had not known the resurrection before this moment. They had heard from Mary about his appearance at the tomb. But this announcement didn't inspire a response from them. They were isolated in their misery, and their vision of God had become dim and confined like the house they had locked themselves in. Do we allow our circumstances and our situation to make our view of God dim and confined? And so they're gathered in fear and misery and grief, and Jesus comes and he appears and he says, peace be with you. The one thing they were lacking is what Jesus promised in a way only he, he could and only he can. John 1, 5, John's gospel rings out. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus had overcome violence and death through the cross to bring peace and new life. That power still overcomes any darkness. It still overcomes any struggle. And it certainly still overcomes any excuse. You see, in order to make disciples, we need to first be disciples. And disciples are followers. They're learners. They're imitators. They're not just people who say the right things, who've memorized the right things. They're people who gather to learn and to grow and to change. I've said before, if you want to be comfortable, this isn't the place. Now, if you're visiting, we hope you're comfortable. But the gospel's offensive. The gospel's foolishness, the Bible tells us, to those who are perishing. But to those being saved, it's it's the power of God. 
If you find a church that allows you to remain just like you are, if you find a church where you can go and feel just like you week after week after week, that's not biblical discipleship. It's a cheap substitute. And here's the thing, you're going to miss out. In my heart of hearts, you're going to miss out. Because, you know, the gospel isn't Brian being the best Brian he can be. It's Brian trying to become more like Jesus. Because the best Brian I can be is a far cry from him. And the gospel is an invitation and an empowerment for a new way of life. And the further we are from who Jesus is, the more difficult that process is going to be. But it's an amazing process. It's a beautiful journey. It's fraught with peril and it's difficult. But it's beautiful and you're never alone. And he's with you and you have peace. You know, I talk about this a lot because it weighs heavy on my heart. I think a lot about our young people, about young adults. And, I, and the reason I think is because when I was a young man, I don't think I rejected Christ as much as I rejected most Christians. And here's the thing. Our kids are going to pay less attention to what we say. Sometimes they don't hear anything we say at all. I think we know that. But make no mistake, they are watching what we do. Now, I understand full well the spiritual doctrine at play here, I understand that, and I know the Spirit of God and the Word of God draws people unto Him, but you better believe that we are called to be witnesses for Jesus. And I think if our kids walk away, it's not because our knowledge was off. It's not because we didn't have the right answers as much as our walk was off. We told them one thing and we lived out another. 1 Peter 2.12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, maybe because of your good deeds as they observe them, maybe they'll glorify God. Matthew 5.13-16, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again and it is no longer good for anything? except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. You know, in other places we know Jesus says he's the light of the world. Then it shifts because he goes away to the Father and he gives us the Spirit of God. And we become the light of the world. His light shining through us. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. This goes again into fear. Are we letting our light shine or are we afraid? It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and think you're really smart, that they may see your good works and applaud you, that they may see your good works and want to be part of what you're doing. No. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. That's why we're alive. So people can look at us and see Jesus. It's about word and deed. You know, I, I tell people I had integrity as an atheist. You know, my, my, my worldview was, you know, you get, one, you get one shot, so increase pleasure, minimize pain. Follows through. It, it made sense. I had integrity. I lived according to those principles. Now, existentially or internally or subjectively in my heart, before, before everything, because you live that way, and eventually externally everything's going to fall apart. Your relationship, everything's going to suffer. But even before that, inside, I was dying. 
I was lonely. I was restless. I lacked peace. I longed. And everything I thought would be the object of my longing just made me long even more and more and more and made me feel more and more empty and lost and alone. True freedom comes from obedience to Christ. It comes in repentance. But too often, I, we, are comfortable with our excuses. And so the world sees Christians who are holy and consistent. And maybe you don't care about that as much as you should. And so that's why I said it. Our children, your children and my children, see Christians who are holy and consistent. And if you care about that, you should recognize that those other people that we're called to witness to, created in the image of God, we are called to be salt and light to all of God's children. And God deserves to be the Lord of our lives because he loves us and he desires we come to know him and put him first. So we can declare our independence from God or we can declare our dependence upon him. You see, the way I see it is we have one of three options. We can live with a rebellious heart toward God in the flesh and absolutely in bondage. We can live with a divided heart, never satisfied, always in turmoil. Or we can live with a surrendered heart, submitted and serving and free. See, he gives us his Holy Spirit to be our helper to do his work. But we need to trust because the thing is, the kingdom of God is an inverted kingdom. Die to live. Submit to be free. Give to receive. Serve to be the first. And be willing to lose it all to gain what really matters. And so I close with the question I began the series with. What is your excuse for not putting God first in your life? Where is your biggest struggle right now? Is it unbelief and not trusting him in some area? Is it a busyness, lack of priorities, distractions? Is it sin? Is it an ongoing habitual sin that you just feel like, you know, Jesus can save my soul, but he can't, you know, we, we think we, have, we make him real small like that. Or is it fear? Is God telling you to do something? Maybe for a while he's been telling you to do something and you're afraid. You don't want to step out. And you're ignoring the will of God for your life. See, Jesus talks in Revelation 21 about a new heaven and a new earth. Where the dwelling of God will be with man and will God, where, where God will wipe every tear from our eyes. Will there be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain? For the former things have passed away, and Jesus says, I am making all things new. And you see, this works, it's already begun. The kingdom is both here and now, and will be at a time to come. It is already and not yet. It is not just at the heart and core of the problems we face as a nation. This speaks to the problems we face as human beings. Jesus Christ is the only hope for true freedom. John closes his gospel with this. 
Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And this is my hope for each of us, that by believing, by trusting, by not making excuses, by putting him first, that we would have life in his name. As we transition to communion, I want to give you some time to prayerfully reflect this morning. Just bow your heads with me. We're going to partake together when you get it. Just take a moment where you are. Maybe... Maybe you've never trusted Jesus. Maybe somebody invited you here. Maybe, you know, I I pray that anything that was of me that you quickly forget. But I pray that the Spirit of God, that the Word of God penetrate your heart. And that if if you're feeling, if God's trying to speak to you and you know He's calling you out of your rebellion. He's calling you to trust, to put your faith in Him. I pray that if if that's the first time you've ever done that, that you just pray, that you ask him to come into your heart, to enter your life, to change you from within, to grant you that peace that he promises. And if you're like many of us, you just easily get distracted and you just need to recommit. You need to recognize the excuses you've made, the things you've become comfortable with that just weren't of him. The things perhaps he's, he's prompting you, the Spirit is prompting you to do that you've neglected. And you'd ask God to increase your faith, to embolden you, to trust in him. Lord, help us today to declare our dependence upon you. For some in this room, maybe the first time for many of us to redeclare ourselves. We've distrayed. We've become distracted. Lord, help us live radical lives for Jesus. Help us live in such a way that when people look at our life, they say, that person really loves the Lord. Let's take a moment and pray. First Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul begins the chapter by saying, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We're told in verse 28, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So let us take a moment now as the elements are being passed out to quietly and prayerfully examine ourselves.
So with these, as you notice, if you pull the top part up, there'll be the bread. Just do that slowly. And then after that, there'll be the, the juice. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Yeah, the wrapper's still going. Give everybody a minute here. Verse 25 says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you as we remember your sacrifice, as we remember where God took the the worst thing to ever happen in the history of the world, and through that, our redemption, through that, he turned it into the greatest blessing humanity has ever known. For it's by your death and resurrection we can have new life, and we can have true freedom. God, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, please stand as we sing together one last song.
Let me fail a thousand times If that is what I need Let me lose these dreams of mine If I need to taste defeat You walk me through the fire Until I see the heart of your desire You carry me Through these dark and raging seas your grace has not abandoned me For these storms I thank my God For they drove me to the solid rock From the shipwreck of my life You build a truer heart in my brokenness you shine my loss is where you start to form in me your will until my love is a reflection of your love for me and through these dark and raging seas your grace is not And for these storms, I thank my God, for they drove me to the solid rock. And you 